Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and a special welcome to those who are visiting Emmaus for Discover Emmaus Weekend. Let's give them a hand one more time. Prospective students and parents and friends, youth leaders, we are excited to have you on campus and grateful to be able to show off for you just a little bit why we believe Emmaus is a great place to study, to learn, to grow, and to spend all four of your college years. I am a firm believer in the value of an Emmaus education. In marketing, a value proposition is the entire spectrum of benefits or value of a product that the organization offers to customers um, that, with the product that they're selling. At Emmaus, we have so many good things going on, it's hard to highlight all of them in a short paper flyer or even in one to two days here on campus. Of course, by now, you should know about our wide variety of academic programs, majors, and minors that will prepare you well for vocation and ministry. You've probably been informed about all of our athletic programs, soccer, volleyball, cross-country, men's and women's basketball, Excited for those to begin soon, and all of our amazing coaches and staff involved in these programs. You have likely heard about how awesome our student life staff are, Woo! and just how hard they work to give our students a one-of-a-kind experience. We've actually termed it the Emmaus experience that just cannot be found anywhere else. Certainly, you know all of this. But do you know, are you aware of some of the finer selling points of Emmaus that our marketing staff doesn't necessarily highlight in promotional materials or on social media ads, let me tell you? Like Cookie Fridays? Yeah. Or faculty and staff participation in Winterfest? I was Indiana Jones one year, personal dream come true. Awkward hallways. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will soon. Like the fact that most likely none of your classes will ever be canceled for snow or cold weather since you all live in the same two buildings. But, 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 every once in a while, a squirrel chewing through the power lines will bring the campus to its knees. <laughs> Who was here for the original Squirrel Day? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Do you know about our annual, sometimes biannual, book sale where you can buy all kinds of great books for literally pennies? Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Outside of the library, Mr. Rush may be giving me commission to make that announcement. <laughs> Do you know about the professors who take their students out for pie at Village Inn or have them over to their homes to cultivate relationships with their families? Do you know about 
former students who graduate. We like it when that happens. <laughs> and become alumni. And maybe eventually colleagues, co-workers, sometimes even close friends. This is the Emmaus Bible College that you can't really see until you come here and experience this for yourself. But listen, there is more beyond even this. In a world where the primary focus of the college experience is preparation for success in vocation, to achieve some measure of security in a chaotic and unpredictable world, Emmaus offers you something even greater. Something, I would say, of immeasurable, even infinite value. And I direct your attention once again to John chapter 17 and verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. And this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. On the final night of his earthly life before his crucifixion, Jesus was with his disciples here in the upper room, instructing them on how they should live in his absence. Perhaps his greatest instruction comes in chapter 17, where Jesus prays to the Father on behalf of his disciples. Wonderfully, we are not left to question if this prayer was only for Jesus' original disciples. Because in verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus' prayer then in chapter 17 was not a prayer only for his first century disciples, but also for his disciples, his followers, who are here in this room this morning, seated in the Glock Auditorium at Emmaus Bible College, October 7th of 2022. And when Jesus prays, he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he speaks directly to the Father. Everything that commences, everything that he says gives us a window, not only into their, uh, the relationship that Jesus bears with his Father during his years on the earth, during his humanity, but ultimately a window into their eternal relationship. How do we know this? Well, in verse 5, Jesus references his pre-incarnate Glory, the glory that he possesses with the Father before the world existed. It would be entirely wrong of us then to limit Jesus' prayer to his humanity alone to the exclusion of his eternal divinity. As the author of Hebrews tells us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what we see him doing in his humanity 
therefore, is nothing that would radically conflict with his eternal character and relational disposition toward the Father. This prayer gives us insight into the inner workings of the triune God. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. What father, what, what, what hour, rather, is he referencing? This is the hour of his humiliation, his passion, his suffering, his death, and then his glorious resurrection. Jesus would be rejected by his own people to accomplish the ultimate purposes of God, that by his death, he would forever defeat death. This hour was anticipated throughout his ministry. Everything he did in his earthly life moved him toward this hour, this purpose, this goal. This is the mission of the Son. What was that mission? Jesus tells us here in John 17 and verse 1. Glorify your Son that the Son might glorify you. The mission of the Son and his incarnate life was ultimately to glorify God the Father. The purpose of his human existence was to bring glory to God on high. Indeed, this is the point and purpose of all human existence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way at the very beginning, very first question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Jesus' perfect human life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection all accomplish his mission of bringing glory to the Father in heaven. The point and purpose then of my existence and yours as followers of Jesus Christ, if indeed you have followed Jesus Christ through faith in him, are likewise to bring glory to God and enjoy his presence forever. Everything, everything, everything in our lives should direct us toward this ultimate end. Jesus continues his prayer. Verse 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh, the Father has given the Son authority, sovereign authority, ultimate authority over all life, over everything that lives and moves and has existence. The Son of God, Jesus, is authoritative over the entire universe, the infinitude of galaxies, the expanse of unending universes, more space and stars than we can comprehend, and all the life that this universe contains, but perhaps even more unfathomable than this, is that he has authority over my personal existence. As a follower, then, of King Jesus, I am to align my desires to his I am to reorient my priorities to his. Throughout my life, I should not simply seek what is best for myself, but I must seek the priorities of my king. His will 
is authoritative over my own. Jesus is authoritative over all flesh and therefore authoritative to accomplish his mission of bringing ultimate glory to God the Father. His desire for me personally is that my desires throughout my life be conformed to his, that he be authoritative over my life and heart and will and thoughts and plans and all of it so that he can accomplish his mission of bringing glory to God the Father through me. So followers of Christ should make it their desire to allow Christ to shape their plans and determine their futures. We are to trust the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. And as we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct and guide our paths for the future. This is true in all areas of Christian life, but perhaps most significantly for this time in your life, in your selection of a college. Are you letting Jesus shape the conversation about which school you will attend? Are you seeking to honor him by allowing him to guide and direct you to the school where he wants you to study and learn? These are important questions to ask. Second part of verse 2, we've read the Son has been given authority over all flesh, and now we read to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The Father bestows his sovereign authority upon the Son eternally as only begotten Son of the Father to accomplish his mission. What is his mission? Here it is, he says, to give eternal life to all to whom the Father has given him. This ultimately brings glory and honor to the Father. The Son's impartation of eternal life to select individuals according to the Father's sovereign will has the effect of bringing glory back to God the Father. That means that the Father is most glorified through Christ's impartation of eternal life to his followers. This is what Jesus left heaven to accomplish. This was his mission. This is why he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus came to give his people eternal life. And we might raise our hands at this point and testify to the redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption that we've received from Christ through his vicarious suffering on our behalf. It's wonderful. And all of this is certainly true if you've trusted Jesus in your Savior, as your Savior for salvation. But Jesus doesn't limit his definition of eternal life to our individual salvation experience. Eternal life is more, though certainly not less, than justification. It is more than a changing of our legal status in God's heavenly courtroom. How does Jesus define eternal life? What is eternal life? 
Look at verse 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not equivalent to praying a prayer of salvation. It is not inviting Jesus into your heart. It is not your baptism. It is not communion. It is not church fellowship or the spiritual disciplines of prayer or scripture immersion. Jesus says this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowledge of God the Father and God the Son is the Savior's definition of eternal life. Eternal life, then, in Jesus' own words, is not primarily quantitative, but instead qualitative. It is not solely about duration of years or longevity of life, but the quality, the condition, the excellence of that life. Christ himself spoke to this when he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly in John 10.10. Eternal life is more than one initial experience of the Christian life, but instead the entire trajectory of the Christian life from the moment of salvation into the endless ages of eternity future. Merrill Tenney says, eternal life is growing and expanding, not static. Neither is this knowledge to be limited to an intellectual activity alone. It is knowledge that surpasses, goes beyond understanding, beyond intellectual comprehension alone. This knowledge transforms not only my mind, but also my heart, my emotions, my will, my volition, and ultimately proceeds outward into what I say, my speech, my actions, and all external activities. It is a knowledge that shapes our relationships. It is a knowledge that changes us and makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. D.A. Carson says, To know God is to be transformed and thus to be introduced to a life that could not otherwise be experienced. Jesus brings glory to God the Father through his crucifixion and resurrection, which is the mechanism by which he offers eternal life to anyone who will believe. In our possession of eternal life, therefore, God is glorified in Christ through us. Yet eternal life is not to be equated with the salvation experience in the Christian life, but instead becomes the ongoing goal, the destination, the telos of the Christian life. What are the implications for us? of these three verses. How does all this apply to those seeking the Lord's will for their future, particularly in the selection of a college? The world around us asks you, prospective students, to evaluate a potential college with questions like, how will this school prepare me to get this job? 
achieve this income level, this level of financial stability, this social status, this security. But this prayer of Jesus in John 17 reorients our priorities away from that of the world and toward God's own. So that now we ask the question, if we are followers of Jesus, how will this school prepare me to glorify God through the ongoing pursuit of the eternal life that is found exclusively through knowing him through his son, Jesus Christ? For the follower of Jesus Christ, the primary goal and outcome of higher education is not preparation for vocation or financial stability or even Christian service, but rather it is to be a closer relationship with God the Father through the experiential knowledge of his Son, Jesus Christ. So now we must ask whether our priorities in seeking a college or reason current students for continuing at a college are aligned with God's. For the follower of Christ, the ultimate priority that rearranges all other priorities is to know God the Father through his Son in a more full, deep, closer way from day to day. As a follower of Jesus, your ultimate desire and what you're looking for in a college should not be centered in vocational training or career placement. It should not be centered on athletic programming or social clubs and interactions or service learning opportunities. All of those things can be good and fun, but not ultimate, not for the follower of Christ. Your primary concern should be to find an institution and remain in an institution where you can grow in your knowledge of God the Father and the Son by His Spirit and apply this knowledge relationally and experientially. God is more concerned, please note this, God is more concerned to shape your character than these formative years than anything else. Now, I can anticipate some of the pushback. That all sounds well and good, but practically, JJ, how am I going to get a job if I pursue Jesus Christ in college? How will I provide for myself or my future family? And my response to that is this. Have you not read in Matthew chapter 6? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? How am I going to find a job? Who am I going to get married to? The Gentiles, the people who don't know God, seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Prioritize your pursuit of God and his son and his kingdom and his righteousness above all else, and everything else will follow. Do you believe the word of the Lord? 
The parents here might say, I'm a parent myself. I might say this someday. I want what's best for my children. I want them to have the best education, be well-trained in their field so that they can have the most successful life and just be happy. Just be happy in life. But this presupposes that material and financial success and stability can bring joy and happiness, which they cannot. Furthermore, this life is a short and very temporal introduction into our everlasting existence. If I, as a father, am truly concerned for the well-being of my children, I should value their spiritual condition above all. Warning them to avoid storing up treasures on earth, whether wealth or prestige or comfort or any other good thing that becomes idolatrous when elevated above our pursuit of the knowledge of God. As a father, I should exhort my children to Jesus' words, again in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what good would it do? What good would it do if our children go to the best of secular colleges and are trained by the most successful and knowledgeable of instructors and get their dream job fresh out of college? Highly unlikely, by the way, but let's say it just happens for the sake of argument. And in the process of all those things, their spiritual interests evaporate. And their morality is eradicated by the secularism they're surrounded by. And they lose sight of what is ultimately significant in this life. I can still see some of the discomfort, some of the rebuttals on your face. Can't a Christian go to a secular institution and succeed and retain their faith and even grow? Certainly, this is possible. Of course it is. With God, all things are possible. But it is increasingly becoming rarer and rarer to find a Christian who really thrives in a secular institution. This is why Christian higher education, really biblical higher education, is far superior. It seems like an arrogant claim. We have as our goal the transformation not only of the, the head, but also of the heart and the hands as well. We seek to shape the whole person into conformity to Christ. We have as our mission at Emmaus Bible College to glorify God by equipping and educating learners to impact the world for Christ through faithful and effective service in their ministries, professions, and communities. In this way, our mission is aligned with God's mission. And you will be hard-pressed to find this in a secular institution. This is what makes Christian higher education stand apart. So friends, prospective students, parents, youth leaders, those visiting with us, as you take a look around at Emmaus in the next days, keep in mind that this is 
This is our key distinctive. Our desire is to align our mission to Christ's mission in equipping the next generations for success in the pursuit of ultimate value, the only pursuit of ultimate value in human existence, the pursuit of knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is what sets us apart. This is why Emmaus is fire emoji. That's why you should come here. Current students, you've made a good choice in coming here. But it's not automatic. You don't just become more like Christ because you sit in these seats and populate these halls. You have to want it. You have to chase after it. The knowledge of God, sleeping in, coming late to class, checking out in chapel. This isn't going to win you the prize. This isn't going to get you what you're after. Don't waste your college years. Run hard after God. And if you're already going hard, then go harder. Future students, we want you here with us, running after Jesus Christ alongside us. Paul says in Colossians 2.3, In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How's that for a value proposition? That's what we have to offer here. You'll only know him better as the Spirit of God illuminates his word to you. So spend your time pursuing your knowledge of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. He's the only college experience worth pursuing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his impartation of eternal life that his sacrifice and his resurrection has accomplished for us the work that we could never do. We thank you that in the moment of faith, your spirit applies it to our hearts and sets us out on a journey to learn about you, to understand you better, a journey that we will continue throughout this life and into the endless ages of eternity future. Father, this is eternal life, and together we seek after it and we run after it together to know you through your Son as revealed in your word to us by your spirit. We pray, Father, that our priorities, the priorities of our lives and of our hearts, would align with your own. We pray for those who are visiting Emmaus, who are making decisions and thinking about their futures, that they would involve you within these important choices. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning.